Next step number 648, November 5th, 2020. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskin. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. In these weekly episodes, you will find that Father Vosgan's messages are timely, thought-provoking, and based on the solid principles of Christ's love, faith, and hope. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. It was like opening a portal. And you go through that portal and you're going back in time. That's how wild it is. And it wasn't a long time. It's not like dinosaurs or Middle Ages, but just 5, 10, 15 years ago. 20 tops, tops, not even 20 years ago. Yeah, this morning I, I remembered, recalled, because as I was reflecting upon what's going on now in Artsakh and just the the feeling of loneliness that we're experiencing. Where is the world, you know? And of course, we just went through this um, unusual, highly unusual election process. Unusual in the sense that the country is so divided that even at this point, let's see, it's Thursday, two days, 48 hours since the end of the election, and there still hasn't been a decision made. Usually they call these elections on the night, sometimes the following morning. Let's see, I've been through so many elections and I know the process. This time they're going longer because of the pandemic. They've had to send out ballots by mail and it takes a while. And for some strange reason, well, not strange reason, but for some strange reason, they want you to believe that um, there's uh, some kind of... um, plot to undermine the system. There isn't. Every election, every election that we've ever had, there is counting that takes place after the polls have closed. It's impossible to do it any any other way. There are so many ballots. But this time it was even more because of the pandemic. People had mailed it in. And, and here in the United States, it is United States. There are 50 states and each of them have their own procedures for um, opening ballots. For instance, in some of the states, you cannot touch the ballots till the day of the election. In other states, such as where I'm at, California, once I deposit my ballot, which was, let's see, October 30th, I believe, the 29th or 30th, so a good three or four days before the election, they can at least verify, so they they check that it's you, and it's quite an impressive process of what they go through, and they can take it out of the envelope and get it ready for entry into the computer. So you can imagine that because of the 50 states, all the different ways of processing these votes, that there are, there, it's going to take time. And so here we are, 48 hours, and it's so close. The election is so close uh, that they can't call it. And, and, and that in itself tells you what a divided country we have at this moment. You know, that's how close it is. And it's really sad because when you think of where the United States was at one time, what we would call a superpower, not in the sense that we had these arms, but we were actually talking about sharing our resources, what we had, and maybe that we could, I mean, this is what the whole idea of technology is so beautiful, that it was always alluring to me, and especially with the space race, that we shared this information, and it wasn't about destroying people, but it was about really helping and giving people a, a, a hand in, in moving forward, and now we've succumbed to national interests I mean, not only America, everywhere you're just seeing this and that dream that we could maybe have a world where there might be peace is is slowly going out the door. It's, It's very sad what's happened and it has its own anxiety levels and add to this where I'm coming from and many of you who are listening, the war in Armenia, uh, which is, you know, um, they're calling it a war. They're calling it a war for 
a small land called Artsakh. It has nothing to do with any kind of war because the the crimes that they're committing are inhumane. I mean, all war is inhumane, but I'm talking about the things that I can't even describe, and you can certainly read about these and see, but the inhumanity that comes from only one thing that we as Armenians know all too well, namely genocide. And we're seeing that this is a pretense to to genocide, to getting out there and annihilating everything that is Armenian. And this is what's meant by an existential threat to everything to the Armenian existence. And it's becoming more and more obvious and um, even more and more obvious is that we're out on our own. And if, if there was a hope, and I know there's some people out there, they're very, you know, they're very hopeful that, you know, especially this is like election year. And politicians, I, they're all politicians, you know. Their politicians will promise you everything. So last week, Armenians got all excited because Trump was out on the campaign trail and he made a mention of Armenians. Ooh! The Armenians got excited because they think that Biden's going to be. They don't care anything. It doesn't matter who they are. They don't care about it. In fact, very few people do. And the proof of that is, well, because when have you cared about anything besides yourself? And this is, of course, I'm talking about straight out. I'm not talking about you hardcore in issues members. And those are the people that have that I'm going to ask you to go back in time with me to look through that portal that I opened up this morning uh, because I woke up this morning thinking about this entire idea. And, and those of you who are consumed by this, especially by the war and the idea that genocide is happening right now uh, in Armenia, a second wave of it from 100 years ago, continuing now. And those of you who are part of this inner shoes movement know about the power of putting your feet in the shoes of others, not looking for handouts, not having your hand extended and see, saying, please, please help me, because they don't care. And the proof of that is just look at what's going on in the world. When was the last time that you assisted somebody who was asking for help? We all get those requests in the mail. We all get those requests on the internet. But how quick it is that we pass them by. Sure, we'll throw out a a crumb, right? We do. We write out little checks here and there. We will make donations, but they are not all consuming. So that was what In His Shoes was born on. And it was 2003 that we started. In 2004, there was a huge tsunami in Indonesia. And this really was the first test, the first test of In His Shoes. And that's why I went back in time today. I opened up a portal. I found the old website. It it exists. I, it exists, okay? And and I, I'll give you a hint. You can't Google it, but it is there. And um, because I had a hard time finding it myself. But we found the old website, and there was a picture there. One that I, I knew it, it had to be somewhere, so I found it from 2004. And this is a... Indonesian family. It's a mother with her children. And I don't know if you might remember 1988. There was an earthquake in Armenia that took the lives of upward of 25,000. Some estimates were up to 50,000 people died in this earthquake. And there was an iconic picture of a mother with her children in Gumri. They were just outside the door and they were devastated you could see the expressions on their faces and so what we did in 2004 we took these two pictures and i remember um scanning them this is early times when you know not all these technologies were available to us scanning and a, a good friend of mine mike he I, I sent it to him he made them into posters he had the equipment inside of his shop to make them into posters because before <laughs> before social media there was real media you know we would make posters so we had a poster of these two pictures these iconic pictures one is the family in Gumri after the Armenian devastating earthquake. And the other one is the family in Indonesia after the devastating tsunami. And we made a poster that says, We're challenging you to walk in his shoes. 
I'm reading you the poster. And by the way, I found it, so I will definitely put this on the website. You get to see our early programming from the early years, okay? It says, we're challenging you to walk in his shoes. In 1988, the world came to the aid of the Armenians following the devastating earthquake which claimed 25,000 plus lives. Today, we're asking Armenians to walk in the shoes of the victims of the tsunami in Indonesia. Donate generously by making a check payable to Inishus. A hundred percent of your donation will be donated to the Red Cross tsunami relief effort in the name of the Armenian people. And this is wild because the entire idea was like, wow, can you believe it if Armenians were the people that were out there at every disaster helping out when the time came. Wow. Yeah. Like, like, oh no, it'll never come. Of course it's came. Of course it'll come. And it did come when the time came. They wouldn't, we wouldn't be out there with our hands stretched out and so saying, help us. But people would be saying, Hey, aren't those the people that always have their hands full giving to others? It's time that we help them. And so that was the basic philosophy behind in his shoes understanding that we belong to a world where there is pain there is suffering and it's up to us to extend ourselves so um i did find this flyer it was on the website on the early website of in his shoes and i remember this campaign that we had and this had started out actually for me personally back in 1988 when the earthquake happened i was uh the parish priest in San Jose, California at the St. Andrew Church and we were running an electronic bulletin board system which was called SANE, the St. Andrew Information Network and I actually own the domain sain.org those of you who write to me privately know that I have um, a sane.org email address and uh, we named it that and I, I picked up the domain never knowing that domains would mean so much this is pre pre dot com error so um <laughs> i always laugh because i never we didn't even think about it that i should have registered not only sane but put a t on it and i would have owned saint.org saint.com you know things that were you know i guess could have had a different kind of value today so anyway, um, we were running a bulletin board system, which gave us the edge because we were communicating with Armenia. And so right after the earthquake had happened in Armenia, we were getting feeds from Armenia via what was then a modem system, not the Internet, not the Internet at all. It was feeds that we were receiving on Usenet, Usenet chatter. And we were getting that and we were sharing it with the world. So we became all of a sudden the hub where information was being dispersed. So that morning when the news hit the Bay Area, before Red Cross, before anybody was talking about it, there we were, this small little church in San Jose, governing and directing the uh, the relief effort from, of all places, if you want to believe, a small office. One day, ask me. I don't even want to get into where that office was. But we were running the earthquake activity. We found so many generous, generous people. We even found landlords of, of um, what do you call those huge storage areas, yeah, that, that lent us these spaces where we could stockpile food and um, clothing for you know, a day or two or sometimes a week until we could get a plane that would take it to Armenia. And I saw the way that everybody came together for a small place in Armenia. The following year, we had an an earthquake there in the Bay Area. Actually, it was during the <laughs> it was during the World Series, the World Series between, of all places, between San Francisco and Oakland. It was the San Francisco Giants versus the Oakland A's. And the earthquake happened during the World Series. So people were actually in the, the, the stadium. Those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bay Area, it's, it's a peninsula where uh, San Francisco's on one side, and the other side is Oakland. So these two teams, which are always <laughs> rivals, 
uh, but they're in different leagues, national and American leagues. That year, they were at the World Series. And the World Series was in the Bay Area, obviously. It had to be at one of their places. And during Candlestick Park, uh, where the Giants played, the earthquake happened. And the the freeway collapsed. We had the Nemetz Freeway over there. The Oakland Bay Bridge collapsed on itself. Horrendous, horrendous um, tragedies were recorded. And the, you know, astronomical fees, as always, uh, come about because you have to now start doing the, the recovery process. So we put it out there. We put it out there. I personally put it out there to my Armenian people. And I said, hey, you remember like a year ago how the world reacted and how we in the Bay Area people reacted? And, I, and I'm ashamed to say, I'm ashamed to say that at the time that very few people, I think if I remember right, it was to the tune of something like $5,000 that we were able to collect for Bay Area relief. And in embarrassment, I, I took it to the city of Santa Cruz and donated it there to the mayor. I remember going to his office with one of the members of our church community. But it was an embarrassment because when you look at the hundreds of thousands that we collected and in return, it was very important for us to do something in return. So this was all coming back to me this morning. And I said, wow, you know, what things we had went, we had gone through. And so by the time 2004 rolled along, and now we had a machinery, which was called In His Shoes, and we put it out there that, hey, you know, people helped us out like a decade earlier. And now there's a tsunami. And systematically, we did this. And so today, that's what I was talking about, about going through a, a time tunnel I opened up this website and I started going through the articles and it took me back. The places that we have helped out with as Armenians. And I, this is something I'm very proud of because that was the course that In His Shoes had. I mean, those of you who have listened for the last few years know that we went to unbelievable places such as Standing Rock and stood there with the Lakota Indian tribe, you know, and you say, wow, that was kind of unusual that you did that. But it was because of these early steps which we had taken, which was also um, standing up with Darfur. And there was, I, I found a picture today where I'm standing with Darfuri refugees and we're standing together and, and the man's wearing a t-shirt which says it is better to stop a genocide than to commemorate one or something like instead of commemorating a genocide try to stop one and to me that was wow you can't be any more clear for the armenians right every year we remember april 24th but we don't do anything about what's going on in the world today so you can imagine i'm sitting there looking through this website from you know 15 20 years ago and thinking about where we were as in his shoes what we have done and reading through all of the accomplishments you feel very good and what is it that we weren't able to make this mainstream i mean i know and and you know i know you're listening to me right now and you're saying well i'm part of it you should feel good about that thank you i'm not talking about those of you who are part of the In Issues movement, you know what it's about. It's the ultimate Christian expression. It's what Jesus Christ has taught us, not to be isolated and not to be in our own little bubble, but to understand that we belong to a world where there is pain, there is suffering, and our only hope is to extend ourselves to one another. I mean, you know, it's remarkable. It's not, it's not brain surgery. It's like this is all we have. And if you've been listening, you know that this is what the cornerstone of the next step of in issues, or the, the philosophy, armadoxy of not only us, but what we have been preaching from time zero. Last night we had such a beautiful, beautiful um, lecture. One of our young men gave this beautiful lecture about Armenian uh, theology. And in there was, you know, the connection with, 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 
a connection that goes beyond space and time. That was his, the expression that he used, and I was very thankful for that. I was, in a sense, moderating it, and I, I made mention of that, that that is really what we talk about here on The Next Step, too. It's not about connecting with Jesus in the manger. It's connecting with Jesus at the beginning of time, connecting with the 13 billion-year-old history that uh, that the stars and the universe has, connecting with the Creator. And, I, and you know what? That's so much part of our church history. If you listen to the Hokihankis prayer, what do we say? Christ forbearing and compassionate in your love as our creator. That's right. Christ our creator. Why? Because Christ is God. Christ the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is God. We understand that concept. So Christ is God just as the Holy Spirit, just as the Father and Creator. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was there where? In the beginning. So when you connect as children of God, you're connecting with that. I'm going to take a break right now. You know what I'm going to do also? I'm going to put in, if, if you didn't get a chance, I would highly recommend you listen to my sermon from last Sunday. I'm going to put a link on today's show notes. It just occurred to me that I actually had a chance to, to share that, that message uh, in the cathedral. I want you to listen to it because it has been really going off the rocker. People have been downloading it right and left and I've been getting a lot of comments. But I... I I don't want to talk about it because I did it, but it really says a lot about who we are and what we're doing as Armenian Christians. So I will put a link on today's show notes. It is about, um, about 15 minutes long in Armenian language, but listen to this. I'm giving you the English translation too. Written, yeah, what else do you want? When we come back, I'm going to continue going through the wormhole that takes us back in time, but also bring you up to time and share with you a very special quote that was said by a very special person, individual. Some people even say that he might be a living saint. That's when we come back. Right now, we take a little break every week just to play a song to digest the first portion of our of our program and then come back and continue. So I pick out a song that has something to do with the way we're feeling for the day, and this is what I picked out for you today.
We are loyal, we are sincere soldiers, the name of the song. Uh, a, a song that's a multiple layers, it just it goes back to early, early time for me. In many different forms I've heard this song. This one, this particular one, came to me from a dear friend in Cupertino. He sent this to me. Anahit uh, Gutsuzian doing it. It's just beautiful. It just it expresses the feeling that we're feeling today of what's happening. And I think there's the romance of the Fedai, of the, the lone guys, the, you know, a group of guys standing on the front line. And, you know, modern warfare eliminates the Fedai. They're doing with drones, they're hitting with. Um, with with modern weapons of war, you know, just this is how we define if a if a society has made it, how good their weapons are, and still it's the fedai. It's not about the weapon that he's holding, but it's about that feeling of having that purpose and having that intention, and living for that intention. And as Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King says, unless you have discovered something worth dying for you're not fit to live and and for armenians it's been that homeland it's been that faith and you realize that at some point you need to put your life out on the line i wish it wasn't like that wish we could live in harmony but people don't allow it people don't allow it and you have to be able to say that okay this is worth more than my life and i know these are dangerous dangerous words and so we don't take them lightly we invest our time in it. We 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 contemplate it. We wish to get around it. We find uh, dialogues of peace so much more uh, fruitful than dialogues of death. But it, it comes down to this. And we are at this point, like I said, the song of the day every week. I try to pick something about where we're at. And this is Anahit Kitsuzian. She captures in her voice, in her music, in her rendition of Mengangir Zimborenk, she captures the feeling that we have of this time. I'll have a link on today's show notes. As the dawn sun breaks over sleepy gardens I've been here today of things to comfort you Oh, and though I've been away Left you alone in this way Why don't you come awake And let your first smile take me Last Friday, we were at a panel discussion at the University of West Los Angeles. It was interesting. I wasn't really thrilled. I think I mentioned it briefly. Oh, I didn't really care to be on the panel because, you know, you get to a point where you understand that critical mass is important. And one of the things that I did in preparing for this panel discussion, I did some research on what that critical mass is. And I used to give out this figure about one million people and Tony Blair still went ahead with the Iraqi war. Actually, I was really off base. Do you know what the number was? Worldwide, there was 36 million people who protested against the war in Iraq. And all of us know that it happened. All of us know that they went ahead with it anyway. So it makes you question, and this is what, why kind of my heart wasn't into it. It's like, what is the purpose of, of, of sharing these stories? 
if it's not going to do anything. And I think this is one of the illusions of social media, too, that everybody feels like, okay, I have a responsibility to get this message out. And so I will post it on my page, on my tweet, I will share it, and people will know. And we get the idea that somehow we are doing something. I think the biggest part of doing that, the most important part of that, and it is very important, it's helping us deal with the psychological stress that we we are faced with, that we are away from huge tragedies, and we somehow need to be able to connect with them. And social media does exactly that. It is the social media. It's the, By this media, we are socializing with some of the greatest pains in the world. And I think social media probably got its kick, what was it, in 2011, 2012, during the Arab, Arab summer. Do you remember that? Uh, in... Um, was it Egypt? Yeah. There was uprising and, and the only way people communicated was via the, the social media and texting and and all of a sudden these little devices that were in our pockets became a means of overturning governments, you know. When we talk about these revolutions that came about. That's not long ago. That's not even ten years ago, right? The Arab Spring, that's what it was. I know it, it goes by and you say, wow, uh, you miss you, you, you lose track of what's what. And I'll be the first one to admit things are just coming by and they're hitting us so quickly. And we have to go from this event to the next event. And this is one of the realities that I'm waking up with about the Armenian uh, war. It's like there are so many things that are taking place that really people don't really care. And one of the things that we did last month is we came up with a design for a peace sign made out of uh, red, blue, and orange. Actually, in Armenian, we now call that Narinja Queen, or the orange color. We now call it Zirana Queen, which I love. It's apricot color, yeah, apricot color for orange. So much more descriptive, isn't it, right? Especially since orange, we're familiar, you know, here in the California, it's the citrus of California, or we think of Florida. But when it comes to Armenia, you think of apricot. Yes, it's actually, what is the Latin for it? Prunus Armenica. Oh, you didn't know I spoke Latin. I didn't know either. But it's a Prunus Armenica, yeah, the, the, the fruit of Armenia or comes from Armenia. Anyway, um, so we came up with this design for a peace symbol. And the entire idea of it was to use it as a stimulation to, to uh, talk about what's going on in Armenia. And it's kind of interesting because we've gotten a lot of people that said, why don't you put on like a sword on there? Why don't you put a cross on there? Why don't you put like, you know, some blood dripping and everybody has their thing, you know. The idea was not about blood. The idea was not about crosses because, you know, one of the things that that we were started off today's discussion talking about America and what we've what we're going through it's the idea that we have to understand that everybody has their own levels of pain and one of the last things people want to do is understand somebody else's pain now me we may hope that that might be something that they do but in general people try to avoid pain as much as they they can and the last thing they want to see is a group of angry people coming out on their streets talking about a pain that's taking a place on the other side of the world you know it, it's a natural turnoff and the and the quicker we can understand that the easier it's going to be for us to figure out that you know you can't look elsewhere you got to look within that's why i was telling you that this sermon that i gave on sunday was really about that inner strength that we find through Christ. And it's very, very important that this doesn't belong to other people. It belongs to you as a child of Christ. And the connection is so clear when Jesus talks about, about for all those who believed, he gave them the power to be called children of God. Where does that take you as a child of God? That takes you to the beginning of all time and gives you an incredible amount of faith and the ability to move mountains. Now, how do you tap into that? That's where you get into the practice. That's where you get into the prayer life, into the fasting, about tapping into that potential that is inside of you. 
So we came up with this uh, idea of making this uh, T-shirt, and it 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 does stimulate some discussion outside. But what is that critical mass? At what point do you get that critical mass of people? So we get a thousand people. We get a hundred thousand people. Last month we had a hundred and fifty thousand people on the streets of Los Angeles, and uh, the Lakers won that night. And all of a sudden the attention went the other way. You know, well. It doesn't. It doesn't hold, right? So you gotta you gotta calculate all these things that you're doing, and uh, let's talk about it spiritually. There is a man living in Artsakh right now. He was there when it was called Nagorno-Karabakh. He happens to be the bishop of Artsakh, namely Archbishop Barkev Martirosyan. Barkev Serpazan, I've had the distinct honor, I, seriously, honor, um, pleasure, of course, for me a pleasure, but the honor to have met him on several occasions, to talk with him, to share some, even some laughs with him. Back in 2014, we went there as a pilgrimage. I know that my wife Susan had... <laughs> had a blast with him when we were invited to his to the diocese to share in a meal together with all of the members of our pilgrimage and i can't tell you enough about how this man is he's in many circles in artsakh he is regarded as a, a living saint in other words that he could walk you know six feet above the, the above the the ground of course that was during a time where there was the Artsakhian movement, the Gharabakh movement, the Gharabakh wars, the first wars. And he tells you about the the issues during those wars. He's the one who tells us about the beautiful monastery of Gansasar. And over there, there is a huge shell that has been left in the wall. It went to destroy that monastery. These The enemy was out to destroy these God-given sanctuaries. And it was just stopped. The mortar shell was right in the in the wall. You could see it. It's still there, you know. I think the last time we were there was last year, yeah. And we went and looking for that shell. It is something that you got to see to believe. But I'm going to go back to about 30 years ago. And we had a chance to be with Archbishop Barkev at a conference and so many priests were asking him what can we do what is going on and he made a statement a very bold statement and this is what I want to share with you because it also answers how we look at our lives too he says I do not serve the Armenian church I do not serve the Armenian nation I serve God therefore I serve the Armenian church and I serve the Armenian nation. Do you got that? Let me say it again, because it's not about changing meanings. It's very, very important that we understand this. It's a basic understanding of how we function in life. He says, I do not serve the Armenian church. I do not serve the Armenian nation. I serve God. Therefore, I serve the Armenian church. And I serve the Armenian nation. So to serve God means to serve what? To serve truth. To, to serve justice. To serve love. To find those places where love has a chance. Where Christianity, Christ's message can flourish. And so because you serve God, therefore you have to serve the Armenian people. You have to serve the Armenian church because these are the vehicles by which we understand our being and that humanness that we share with the rest of the world. It's pretty wild, but it may take a while, but think about it. Meditate about those those ideas. It's very, very important thought. I'm going to put um, on our on our show notes today a copy of, let's see, the electronic version of Window. I would say it's probably from Volume 2. I don't remember, but I'll find it. Wherein Archbishop Barkev, I believe at that time he was a bishop, 
um, of of Artsakh has an interview. We interviewed him, and there's an interview in there, and he says these beautiful words. Do read that story. It's telling. It's telling about what the people in Artsakh are all about. It's not about the things that we think about. It's about this pure and honest understanding of yourself with duties and responsibilities for others. Ah, yes, for others. And and really take a look at it. It, it kind of explains, you know, I, I think last week it was, there was this video that was floating around YouTube and it made the rounds on all the social medias about a group of men at the front line before they went into battle. They prayed together, they were baptized together, and then they went into battle. It gives you an understanding of how they view their role as military men, as agents of doing the good, doing what is right, and fighting for that truth. And I know you can you can argue and you could say, well, it sounds one-sided, single-sided. But, you know, when you look at the horrors and the atrocities that the other side is doing and you start connecting the dots, you start understanding that, you know, um, this is really a one-sided war. This is not about anything about Armenian aggression. It's about Armenians defending what rightfully belongs to them. And I know you can make up all kinds of arguments to the contrary that, okay, get on with it. You know, it used to belong to you. Now it doesn't. And now it's theirs and everything. No, it's not. You can't make that argument because there's too many artifacts there. You know, it's like having a treasure, right? Imagine if you had a treasure and somebody wanted to take it away from you. And then you go and you say, well, you know what? It's mine and I'm going to. I'm going to put it right there. And instead of hiding it, instead of like digging a ditch and putting it out there, instead you just put it out there. Because you say, you know what? This is mine. You have no right to take it. And that's what Armenians have done. They've said, this is ours. I mean, Mesrob Mashtots, the guy who made the alphabet, the reason why the Holy Scriptures were translated, he's from there, right there. Right in Artsakh. I mean, these monasteries, these prayers, you drive and you see and you you see this connection to the holiness, to the holies of holies. And I said this a few weeks ago, you know, we did not flinch. This is, goes back to also what we were talking about earlier. How many Armenians got up in arms about what happened at Hagia Sophia? Yes, our dear friend, Harry Hagopian, I shared his commentaries about that. But too far in, in between, right? How many people really did something about it? And what's going to happen tomorrow when the Turks want to come into these holy shrines and convert them into mosques? Then what do we do? Then how do we respond to that? Or is it too late at that point? And so before it gets too late, it really behooves all of us to understand what the conditions are, what's going on over there, and make up our mind and make up our resolution to take a part in this battle. And so, I don't want to belabor the point about this Sunday sermon, but it was really a call to action. And it begins with the idea that we have to raise our consciousness and we have to be willing to to sacrifice. And these are not good things. They're good for us, yes, but they are not, I shouldn't say good things. I should, these are not popular things. Sacrifice is never popular, and let alone in this world today. People don't want to sacrifice. What do you mean, sacrifice? I'm just happy the way it is. I'm sacrificing because I have to deal with COVID-19. I have to wear a mask. That's a sacrifice. And by the way, what's all, with, what's all this without wearing a mask? What's that all about? They're telling you wear a mask, wear it. Do you realize that wearing a mask is your expression of being selfless? Not wearing a mask is being selfish, right? Because when you wear a mask, what are you doing? You're preventing the spread from you to other people. Yeah, that's what it's about. 
So when I wear it, I'm saying, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to go breathe on people. No, I'm going to wear it to keep it to myself. I mean, what is this? Well, I, I don't get it. <laughs> and they've turned it into a political uh, soap opera. You know, they're telling you wear the mask, wear it. And it always gets me in Armenian churches. Woo! In Armenian churches, they flip these veils on the women. But, but wear a mask? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Yeah, yeah, really. Women are in prayer. I've seen this because I've been up at the altar during the confession. You turn towards the people. I'm watching the people. And I've stopped it. I have absolutely stopped confession when people are fidgeting around with these head coverings, these doilies. These women come to, to receive communion while they're kneeling and in prayer. Somebody from behind is like tossing them, you know, like those ring toss. They toss these doilies and stick them on these women's heads. And these women's very nicely, they, they wear them. Oh, and you tell them, oh, boy, wear a mask. No, 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 we can't do that. Anyway, I am digressing. <laughs> I'm digressing. But we were talking about the call to action and about the revolution. And, and that's why, really, I, I want to impress upon you, don't look elsewhere. Last night, I, we had this meeting with young people, and it got to a point where we were listening to our lecture on Armenian theology, and one of the girls gets up and starts talking about, but the Protestants believe this, and she started listing off why the Protestant understanding of that is wrong and wrong and wrong. Well, that's fine. Okay, but before you start criticizing the Protestants, how about what is our faith? Let's start talking about what we believe. And are we, are we adhering to the things that we believe? What we believe is Jesus Christ came to this world and he set up his church to be the arms, the legs, the mouth of God here on earth plain and simple. And as a church, we have a responsibility. If you are a body and member of that church, you are part of that solution. So take advantage of it. Be part of that revolution. Jesus Christ, the first person without violence to come into this world and change it with some 12 disciples, one of which was uh, turned out bad, with 11 disciples able to change human history. And Christianity became this viable force and energy in the world. And I, and I made this point now. I want to end this, this section with it. Very important because it just occurred to me while I was writing the sermon that Dirtad, you know the story. Durtad became the, the king that accepted Christianity for the Armenian people. Said it will now be the official state religion of the Armenian people. And much different from what Constantine did in Rome. He said, yes, Christianity is acceptable in 325. But uh, you go back, or was it 313? But you go back to what happened, the conversion of Durtad in 301, he made Christianity the state religion. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced, if you think about it, he was the king. That means he ruled over people. That means he had not an army, but he had armies. He knew strategy. He knew military strategy. He knew diplomacy. He knew civil law discourse, right? He knew all of this. He had people who worked under him. He had, as the king, he had states, procurators, governors who he governed and everything. When he accepted Christianity, he did not accept Christianity because it was a way out. It was a way of surrender and retreat. No, he saw within Christianity the power to move mountains, the power to overcome evil, with the power of goodness. And there's your proof right there. I mean, you know, you, you talk about what Christianity is about. Why in the world would somebody like Dirtad, who has all of the military power that he could imagine, want to bend his head and become baptized by St. Gregory the Illuminator for this Christ that he's never met? It could only mean that he found in Christ something better than all the material wealth and the material power that he was used to. 
we get pretty heavy here, don't we? I'm so glad the piano man, he just, he hangs out in the, in the parking lot until we give him a nod about two minutes earlier, and then he rolls the piano up. Here's Susie to make an announcement. I'll be back in a couple moments, okay? Susie here again, popping in to say thank you to you, our listeners. We are thankful for your prayers, kind expressions, and donations. You make this podcast possible. Your listenership and support has allowed us to grow and expand our ministry around the globe. We are grateful to be able to touch so many lives and create lasting friendships. At epostle.net, we are determined to bring apostolic evangelism to an electronic world and look forward to your continued support. Thank you and God bless. We now return to this week's Next Step with Father Vasquez. Thank you, Susie, for that announcement. You know, I had so much that I wanted to share with you today, and it's all on my notes, and we're just going to have to leave it for another day. Take this opportunity to thank you all for your prayers. And I'm not just talking about this ministry, the prayers that you've been offering for our strength and our ability to continue and to pursue and to do the work. You know, when I go up there, and and, and again, last Sunday was a life changer for me, the sermon that I gave, because it allowed me to put it into context, to bring together. It was very cathartic. And as I go there and as I preach, I take you with me. Uh, you you got to believe that how many of you, what a big influence you are in my life, knowing that there are sweet people such as you, who really, and I use that word intentionally, it's not the mushy kind of sweet, but it's the sweet that it's about goodness, that you believe in the good, and you're there to be supportive of this ministry. I have much I wanted to share with you, but today check out the show notes. I'll put some links on there. There's a special bodhisattva prayer that I think I'm going to wait and we'll share it next week. It is something very important. And so if I forget, just like interject and say, we want to hear the bodhisattva prayer, okay? Because I do want to talk about that. I do need to take a break right now and call it a day. There is so much that is on our plate, but it's always a joy and a pleasure to have these few moments together. And I really appreciate you sharing it, taking this word, making it a message for your lives and sharing it with others. I always like to hear from you. You can get in touch with me on the socials, but I'll tell you that honestly, the best way is email. Drop me a line at feedback at epostle.net. That's Epostle, which is Apostle with an E. Apostolic Evangelism for an Electronic and Expanding Universe. Do check out our show notes. And on behalf of the wonderful crew who put this show together, Ken, our technical director, and Susie up in Portland, this is Father Voskin, inviting you to join us again next week when we will take the next step. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and production crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. Daddy, old man, you felt in a trap!